1: I'm locked, I'm locked up, up in memories
0: They all intertwine The memories In my mind I know tomorrow Cause that dawn will come You will never know just what you've done
2: Good evening and welcome to the show. Tonight It's the Stop Child Abuse Now show, scan number 3080. That's 3080, okay? Tonight we're going to have a special guest, and her name is Maureen Seal, and she's from Brooklyn. Oh, right there, uh, New York, and a child abuse survivor, an artist, and an author. She grew up in, oh boy, Missouri. struggled both with borderline personality disorder, oh boy, and poly substance abuse held very strong fundamentalist beliefs. okay, now, I am not going to read this whole thing. I'm Carol Levine, I'm vice president. I'm running a little late tonight um but uh, we did get going, I think, pretty much on time, so anyway, I am here, and um, Maureen, can you hear me? No, you can't okay, let me open this up. Oops. Having a terrible storm here. Holy Christopher. All right, Maureen, can you hear me now? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. And uh, we're having a terrible oh. windstorm here. And um, I'm glad that someone else is here. Oh, 631. Yeah, hold on a second. 631 area code. Who am I speaking to? Because this might, girl might be my trailer. 631 area code. Okay, she just wants to look at oh, that. I bet. Who is this? Hello? Oh, it's Lori. Morning, okay, Phil. Lori. Hey, hey, how you doing? Hey, we have some New Yorkers on here tonight, don't we? All right, that's good. <laughs> All right. So, um, anyway, yeah, we're having a terrible storm here, and if you guys should leave me, I'm, I should, you know, should leave you. I should say because of the wind. We're having wind more than snow. It's a windstorm, and uh, I'm afraid I'm going to lose my electricity. And then I lose my uh, my internet. But anyway, okay, so. Um, in the meantime, we're going to run the show and, and see how we do, okay? Um, I, want, I need to read the mission statement first, and I will do that, and then we'll get into you telling your story, Maureen, okay? Okay. Sure. Yeah. We have a singleness of purpose at NASCA to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so two different ways. Number one is educating the public, especially as related to getting society over the taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting the facts that show child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone. And number two is offering hope for healing through numerous pairs and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse. And information for anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery, okay? Um, usually I, I zero in on intervention um, and and prevention because I think that's very, very important and then comes recovery if you have the right help, okay? But if we could prevent a lot of the things that's going on in our neighborhood, say, okay? Um, if we became more of a caring society and also an educated one, we'd be able to spot the, the red flags of, uh, of kids, you know, that uh, are in trouble. And that might be saving a life. It could be. It's certainly enriching a life if someone takes an interest in them. And I know this for a fact, and uh, I know that, uh, you know, I know people who work with kids in, in, in communities, and it's very, very, very important. So many times I speak about prevention, Hoping that more people will become involved in the same type of thing, joining groups, uh, watch group, neighborhood watch um, over in Easton, where I'm not too far away from, we have the Guardian Angels, and and the Guardian Angels, they're all over the place. That's just one chapter, and uh, they very much are interested in helping kids that you know uh, are about to become gang members and things like that. You know, kids that uh, you know need help. And then there's just regular because maybe who are being bullied, okay? So they get involved with all different kinds of things. I very much like the guardian angels. I respect them. All right. So enough of that. So let us start about your story, Maureen. And you're from Brooklyn. I see. I used to go down there a lot. <laughs> I was born in Staten Island, so I was always, we were always going over to Brooklyn. And uh, you know, I loved it over there. To be honest with you, and uh, I yeah, uh, Staten I Hi, huh? would you say?
3: I think we we love it here.
2: Yeah, I I know I I love Brooklyn too. I really do. I really do. And uh, shopping is really great. All the busloads of people come in, don't they? Oh, you know, to uh, to Brooklyn, and uh, you know, to to uh, shopping. But you know, yeah, I like Brooklyn, and uh, Staten Island, not too much. Manhattan, I love because you know, Broadway. Of course, I love Broadway I very much do, Even to this day. I don't like what's happened to our city, but I am not going to get into that. But anyway, Maureen, why don't you uh, start out by telling your story? Go ahead. Sure. So um, I'm originally
3: from Missoula, Montana, and if we think our weather here is bad, they're getting, like, negative 42 or something back home right now. So I it know. doesn't
0: seem all that bad.
3: Um, mm-hmm. And and with my story, it, it's kind of hard to say when the abuse actually started because there were multiple forms of abuse going on. Uh, My mother, who was my primary abuser, passed away 10 years ago tomorrow. Um, And so it's, you know, I know this time of year is really hard for any, for a lot of people, you know, not just for those of us who have survived abuse, but, you know, for anybody who has depression or anxiety or, you know, maybe you're just blue this time of year, you can't be around friends or family. Um, For me, this year is kind of hard because it's, it's a mixed bag. It's, a very bittersweet holiday for me. Um, a lot of our traditions
1: at my house
3: are traditions my mom started. Um, and so, it's, you know, it's kind of a bittersweet thing to know that, you know, she passed away 10 years ago and we still
0: don't talk about her.
3: Um, I'm the first person in my family to publicly speak about the things that happened in my house um, and the things that happened to particular me and a couple of my other siblings more so than the others. Um, and I guess I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But as far as when the abuse started, um, I should preface it by saying that many people wouldn't define what happened to me as abuse. And the reason for that is that thinking is still legal in all 50 states. Um, and it's, it's loosely defined and kind of, you know, wink and a nod, understood to be open hand over closed, But at the same time, a lot of us who have experienced it know that that's not what actually happened. Um, yeah, at least not in my household. And so I think that, you know, when you would gotten into starting to read the introduction, um, it's very important to understand that my family is very fundamentalist, at least my mother, for my mother's part, was very fundamentalist Christian slash former Catholic. Um, and so a lot of the beliefs that she held influenced how she behaved toward me and toward um my other siblings. Um the old saying of spare the rod, spoil the child, instead of it being understood to be a shepherd's rod that is meant to guide and, you know, to assist your children in understanding life and learning, it was understood to be punishment. So if you want your kids to turn out not to be bad people, you got to punish them. Hmm. Um, so the earliest time I can remember that kind of punishment happening with my mother, I think I was five or six years old. I know for a fact that it happened long before that, um, but like I said, you know, when you're a little kid, you, you don't remember the really early stuff, or at least a lot mm-hmm. of us don't. Um, so the first time I can remember that happening, it was after I had messed up on a, a school assignment, and it, it also is kind of interesting because it played into my math phobia. I'm very afraid of math. I know a lot of people who are. Um, I had messed mm-hmm. up an assignment in class and was afraid that my mom was going to find out and that my teacher would be mad, so I hid it in my desk. And (laughs) my teacher told my mom about it, and she found out and got very upset. She didn't want to hear what I had to say, which was I was afraid people would find out that I was dumb, that I didn't understand the assignment. Um, You know, I didn't want to turn it in and have it not completed. And because of that, she ended up
0: spanking
3: me. And I, I don't know, you know, before I continue how detailed
2: people have been on this
3: show about, you know, the actual abuse itself. I certainly don't want to trigger
2: anybody. Believe me, we are very, very... Um, we speak freely, okay? okay? And we know about all the abuses as physical, mental, emotional, sexual, and neglect. So don't, don't feel like you have to hold back anything for, for fear of... Um, Insulting someone or something. <laughs> We're sure, very sure. much uh, Yeah,
0: I just want to make sure that,
2: you know, some of us
3: are, are a little bit of a fragile state. I didn't actually start mm-hmm. getting help for the trauma that I've been through until this last year. Um, mm-hmm. So she would punish us by, you know, always taking down, at least for me, she always took down our pants, always took down my underwear, um, and always used an object of some kind. She never thanked me with an open hand. Um So I received rubber spatulas, hot glue gun sticks, if you're familiar with those, a kind of rubbery whip sort of thing. Um, And she had broken multiple wooden spoons on me, Mm -hmm. um, you know, on different occasions. And, you know, that part of things, spanking growing up, I never understood to be abuse until I got to be older. Um, You know, spanking for me, I got, you know, I have five siblings. And everyone in my family knows that I was physically disciplined more than any of my siblings put together. Um, it was always what's marine in trouble for now. <laughs> um, you know, what did marine do now? She got it again. Um, right. And you know, I was, I'd always been told by my parents that, you know, she's, she's mouthy, she's stubborn, she's strong-willed, you know, she's defiant. She does all these things, you know, she's, you know, badly behaved, kid. Um, so for as long as I received paintings until I got to be older, I always understood that, well, this is happening because I'm doing something bad, because I'm bad somehow, um, and so whenever I get this kind of discipline, I must deserve it. And, you know, that's, that's a damaging message to send to a kid whose brain is still developing. Um, and, you know, as a result of that, and between that and the fundamentalist beliefs that she held and that were taught at my school. Um, The idea that you're going to hell was something that I've been terrified of my entire life. And so when I was being told by my parents that, you know, you're being badly behaved or by my mom that I'm being badly behaved, and then she would physically punish me, my understanding was, well, if I'm bad, bad people go to hell, and I don't want to go to hell. Mm -hmm. So you know, it's a good thing that she's doing this because she's saving me in a way. And that got to be a very vicious cycle between me and my mother for most of our existence um, where I had these feelings that I had to tell her everything. She would take me into her room and ask me to tell her, did you do anything bad today? You know, did you get in trouble at school today? Did you lie to anybody? And if I told her no most of the time she wouldn't believe me because I was a badly behaved kid and gotten, you know, trouble on a routine basis. And so she would kind of, you know, hound me and be like, are you sure? Are you sure you didn't do anything? And if I told her that I had, I'd be physically disciplined. Um, And after a while, it got to be where if I had these thoughts of doing something bad, like maybe I thought about lying to my teacher or I thought about how much I was angry with her or hated her for punishing me, I took that myself to mean that I did something bad because it's sinning in my heart. is what they called it in school or in um, church or at home. It's, you know if you thought about doing something bad, that's the same as if you actually did it. And so there's no something boy. called religious OCD, and I don't know if anybody on the show has ever talked about religious OCD before, but it's where mm-hmm. someone has obsessive intrusive thoughts that are of a religious nature. And so for me, it was the thought of "I'm going to hell and I'm bad. And those thoughts were so terrifying to me and the idea of, you know, going to hell and eternal damnation and all of that was so scary that the confessions to her became kind of compulsory of eventually I was tracking her down and telling her things that I thought or things that, you know, I might have done or I I could have done or that I did. And then she would have to punish me. And and sometimes she would say, you know, this is just a thought. You just kind a thought. You don't have to do anything about it. If you're worried, go and pray about it. But the fear of eternal damnation and burning in hell was so scary to me that I, you know, would tell her anyway, even if I had prayed to God, it never felt like enough. I never felt like I was actually saved or actually forgiven. And... I don't know how many listeners out there or, you know, if anybody on the show before has talked about some of the scarier things that happened with fundamentalist Christianity. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things that I think instilled this fear in me of, you know, going to hell and being banned and the whole that was a play that was put on in multiple churches, multiple times. I think some churches still do it. It's called Heaven's Gate Hell's Flame. And, the play consisted of these kind of mini stories of people leading up to the moments of their death and then the aftermath of that. So they would die and then wind up at the gate to heaven and there'd be an angel with the book of judgment and that person would either be going to heaven or going to hell. And granted, when I saw this play, I think I was seven or eight years old and it, it was terrifying as a child to see, you know, the heaven part was great enough where there's these angels and Jesus would come and meet them. But then, you know, if he didn't go to heaven, there were, you know, demons that came out of the audience and Satan would be laughing maniacally and there'd be a strobe light going off and a fog machine. And, you know, as an adult, as part of my healing process, I went back to rewatch the play and, you know, kind of get an adult's perspective on it. And of course it was cheesy and terrible, but I can also see how as a kid, At the time, before you've seen what special effects can really do, it was Mm -hmm. terrifying. And Mm -hmm. that night and every night after that, I begged God to save me and Jesus to come into my heart. And I think that's really where a lot of the religious obsession started. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I was seeking my mom out at times and telling her every bad thing I thought and did. And so it got to be this vicious cycle of confession and punishment and confession and punishment. And that persisted until well into my teenage years. Um, And it was when I started to be be a little bit older that I saw the other forms of abuse that were going on in our household just because I had a more grown-up perspective, I guess. And I started to understand that, hey, mom acts kind of weird sometimes. And, you know, she does take a lot of pills. I wonder what she takes all the pills for. And when I finally was, you know, I think 12 or 13, One of my sisters told us that, yeah, mom uses drugs, and the drugs that she's on make her act weird. Um, I understand now as an adult that she was using opiates, several forms of opiates, um, and also alcohol at times. And this got to be a problem because once I got to be old enough to understand, hey, she shouldn't be hitting me for this stuff, I started to stand up for myself. And, you know, when she would tell me I had to be faint, sometimes I'd reach back and try to protect myself or fight her. And it came to a head one day when I told her, I'm going to call the police because I saw an Oprah special and know that you hitting me this way is not really thinking, This is child abuse. And she told me, if you pick up that phone and call 911, you're going to go to a foster home and you'll never see your family again.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And so I'm, I'm both sad, and, you know, I feel compassion for that younger me that I, you know, that I wanted to do it so badly and stand up for me and my siblings so badly, um, but couldn't bring myself to do it, and I never did call, and that's one thing that I kind of, I regret to this day. At the same time, you know, I was a kid and, you know, still very much afraid of being away from my family, so it's only natural to think you wouldn't want to call the police. Absolutely,
2: and you know what, you don't know what you're going to get when you go to um, you know, foster care or whatever We hear all kinds of nightmares about foster care You wouldn't have as a child, you wouldn't have known that But there are good people, there's bad people, that's the way it is And foster care is like that And children do many times even stick up for their parents If police are called, a lot of times because they don't want to be taken out of that situation like you just said Um, It's because they know what they have, okay, but they don't know what they're going to, and they're scared, and they keep their mouth shut. So, you know, these are all things that go around. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, devil
1: you know versus the devil you don't.
2: That's right. And you know, I mean, kids don't know. They, they they're scared, and they, they figure, um, you know, children always want mommy and daddy to love them. Please love me, please love me, all this other stuff, and or, or if maybe I'm not doing well enough in school, like you were talking about with that paper, or or maybe uh, you know whatever, or maybe I'm not acting good enough, you know, for mommy and daddy to love me. Kids knock themselves out, Maureen. They do trying to get their their parents' love. And what you're speaking about, with the pills that she was taking, um, that's very hard for children to live with the uh, mental abuse and so forth, you know, and, and mental a person who has mood shifts. Okay, let's put it that way, you know. Yeah, and so you, borderline you're in a dilemma. Go ahead.
3: Yeah, borderline personality is it, it's a complicated thing because the person who's suffering, oftentimes, you know, the way that they're acting towards other people is certainly, you know, mm-hmm. unpredictable and scary at times. But the person that they hate the most is themselves. Um, mm-hmm. My mom, you know, had her own trauma from her own past. You know, she, she had been abused when she was a child as well, and that caused her to suffer with borderline personality where she didn't know who she was mm-hmm. and nice. who she was supposed to be, and she would be who she had to be in order to not be left behind. She never wanted to be alone. Um, mm-hmm. And so she tried to fill her life with all kinds of, you know, she wanted to have more kids. She already had six of us. Um, And she wanted, you know, to buy things. And she tried drugs. She tried everything she could to try to fill that hole in her. And later in life, you know, the same things as I grew older, got to be less and less. And the drug abuse became the bigger problem and the bigger abuse factor in our family, that she wasn't there. She would be nodding off at the dinner table and um, she was sent into rehab on more than one occasion but because of the laws she was able to check herself out you know after three days and then get her drugs refilled come home and go on a bender Um, and that's usually what she did and you know one specific night i can recall she came home and ended up taking too much of one of her meds and passed out more or less next to the bed and you know, I, I don't judge anyone by their size, but she was an obese woman, and it took the three of us, my, my dad and one of my siblings and I, to get her back into bed. And just because was, she was dead weight, she was not able to stand or to do much of anything by herself. Um, and it, it was sad, because I think the worst part of the the abuse for me, you know, the same thing was, was hard, and um, it, it was a big part of how I see myself today, but for checking out, and not being there, even though she was physically there, I think was one of the most painful things in my life.
1: Yeah. That we wanted
3: her yeah. to just be there and to just talk to us, and she couldn't. You know, there were times that it was like the lights were on, but nobody was home.
2: Yeah, that's what it's like. Let's put Lori on for a second, because I know she probably has a comment or wants to ask you a question. Go ahead, Lori. Nope. What happened to her? <laughs> I hope it's not the wind. I don't lose me, okay?
1: <laughs> I know. I, I I wish I was there, uh, physically there, um, mm-hmm. while all of that was going on. I was cutting out with you too in the beginning, so I didn't hear the the first part. Um, how old are uh, you? Oh, I'm um, I'm 38 years old now. Okay, so your siblings are right behind you. Do you have a relationship uh, with all of them? My siblings are
3: all over the place. I
1: was gonna say my siblings are all over the place. We're scattered from uh, Seattle to here in New York. Yeah, and you talk to each other, normally, like normally, not we like do. with your mother. Yes, we do. And and my mom, she had passed away ten years ago tomorrow. Yeah, um,
2: we're say oh,
1: congratulations. Well. Honestly Oh my god <laughs> I'm sorry I have no filter Telling you that <laughs> I, I, know, <laughs> I know I know mean, I know. She, she angered me what she did to you I mean like I, if I was there You know I, I would want her to be there so I could have Protected you because Sitting here listening to you uh, Express yeah. what she was doing to you It, it really did, did bring anger out Because that's what my mother did to me So I can relate to that right away so well, you've three, got
2: three right here, Lori. There's so, the three. It's like we all lived in the same house. Okay, right? I'm sitting here. I know it's crazy, and yes, anger does come in. And I, 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 <laughs> I you know, it, it's funny what you said, but I, I get it because you know, when my mother died. I dro- I cried once. That was it, and, and it was for because of what we didn't have. And like you were saying, you were saying, Maureen, that she wasn't there. When you needed her, you know, emotionally Or, or whatever the case might be And um, and then she had this, these things that she was filling your head with And I, I can see how um, you were feeling I get it My mother was an atheist mm-hmm. I was the one that happened to believe in God Lori knows this, I've spoken to her about that mm-hmm. And uh, so then I was the freak, okay? <laughs> you know <laughs> what I'm saying?
0: None sure of
2: well, she used to make me feel like a freak, and 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 Lori, Lori understands, you know, the the anger there and and the upset because look, girls need their mothers and and boys need their fathers. I mean, we all need both. Don't get me wrong, but when it comes to you know growing up and and you should have mommy time and you should, and a guy should have you know father time and then both times with each. So it, it's a very hard thing when you're growing up with someone. um you know, hides like multiple personality disorder Or borderline disorder I know what that is Because I used to work on Greystone Wonderful I learned all about that mm-hmm. And it's very hard When you live with someone Who has, a, you know The borderline personality disorder One day they're like uh, bipolar The next day they're like this or like that They have all different ways So how mm-hmm. long was your mother on the medication um, <clears throat> For a very long time Or like, tell me about that I'm curious
0: So,
3: from what I understand, um, and my earliest memories that have anything to do with her using uh, um, substances of any any kind, I was four years old um, Mm -hmm. that I can remember I was sent to daycare. And that's the only time in my life I was ever sent to daycare is my mom was checked into a rehab facility. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I actually believe she has been having a problem with using um, pain medications for the most part. Um, almost my entire life.
2: Wow. Um, up That's very well. rough. Yeah, I'm walking around putting water on because I don't want the pipes to break. <laughs> so, <laughs> what a time. Um, and when, <laughs> when yeah. my mom
3: passed, it was it was complicated because, especially I mentioned this at the beginning here, I don't know, I'm Lori. If you caught this part, but this time of year is especially hard because a lot of our Christmas traditions came from my mom, and. Not all of my memories of her are bad, and I think that's, that's also something with a lot of people who have survived this kind of thing, is the feeling that wasn't really all that bad if I had good stuff too, and excusing the bad things that happened because there was good stuff. Um, and that was how I had it for a long time, is thinking, you know, was my childhood really all that bad? Because, you know, it wasn't like we didn't have a roof over our heads or feet on the table or... I didn't doubt that my mom loved me, but she loved me in a way, you know, the only way she could. And, you know, I, I, to this day, on the one hand, I'm very mad about the things that she did, and I, I resent things that she did, and I don't uh-huh. excuse the things uh-huh. that she
0: did. Uh-huh.
3: But I also uh-huh. am able to say that I've let it go, that I've, I've you know, I've accepted the things that she, she had done, I've been able to find it in myself to forgive her and let it go, but that hasn't been until this year. And I, I've had therapy, (laughs) trying to work on this stuff for years, and it hasn't been until the last six months that I've finally been able to work on letting it go. Um, All right,
2: that's that's that's, 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 yeah. Let me ask you something. I'm I'm glad you said you had therapy because I was going to ask you that. And um, because, you know, we all, not all of us, but a a good percent, let's say 90% of us need to talk to someone, let's put it that way. Because, of you know, you said, well, I didn't have it as bad as some other people did. We don't take uh, yardsticks here, you know, on on NASCA, Mm -hmm. because trauma is trauma, you know what I'm saying? And it sounds to me that you've got an awful lot of emotional abuse, and that hurts. Mm -hmm. It does. It hurts a lot. I mean, you were never good enough. Go ahead.
3: not good enough, and then the fear of, you know, going to hell, I think was a, the oh, biggest nice. thing for me that I was afraid of. And then and then the fact that she, when she was on drugs, she wouldn't mm-hmm. be there emotionally for us. She couldn't talk. Sometimes she was for her speech. And when I became aware of the fact that she was using and I was aware of when she was going to get mm-hmm. her pills and going to use, I would call her out on it and say, Hey, Mom, I know you're taking this. What are you taking? Let me see the bottle. You know, I tried really hard to insert myself in between her and the drugs and to stop her using. Um, uh-huh. It never ended well. It always ended with screaming matches and yelling. Um, the worst episode of arguing with her about her meds was um, on a family vacation where she'd fallen off of a horse because she was too inebriated to stay on the horse. And the horse spooked, and she fell off. And I had the nerve to say, well, you shouldn't have been on the horse because you were on drugs. Um, and it ended in a very large fight with her and my dad and her threatening to divorce. You know, she had multiple times threatened to leave our family, um, actually moved out once um, into a hotel for a while because she was angry. It was in an unstable environment, and that was because of the kind of the dangerous mix of her, her meds that she was abusing and the, the borderline personality. Because the borderline personality would cause these crazy, mood, not crazy, but mood shifts that we couldn't predict. You were always walking on eggshells. And then the drugs made that ten times worse.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: she, once I learned to drive, was sending me out to go pick up her meds. And mm-hmm. when I would refuse, because I didn't want to be her enabler, she would get angry. And the worst, one of the worst nights of my life, I finally let go of my anger and I slapped her because she had cornered me and was trying to throw her car keys at me and make me go get her meds and I wouldn't do it. And, you know, it's one of the things I regret most is that I lashed out in anger at someone who really, now that I think about it, wasn't really able to control what she was doing because she was a very sick woman. Um, And, you know, that's the same to me as her hitting me when, you know, I couldn't do any better. And the main reason that I wanted to to talk tonight and, you know, in a while we'll talk about um, a book that I'm writing is (laughs) to break that silence because I'm the first person in my family to talk about generational trauma a lot about, you know, oh, it seems like this stuff happens generation after generation. And, you know, how do you stop it? And the truth is you have to talk. You have to say something Um, because you thrive in silence. And as long as you don't talk about it, Nothing
2: can be done about it because you're ignoring the problem. Well, you know, um, let me tell you something, okay? Because I, I did go to school here and everything. But with the borderline personality disorder, which is not rare, people had the wrong idea about that. It's not rare, as rare as people think it is. But out of all of the um, uh, of all the mental illnesses people can have, it's the hardest one to treat. And uh, because Mm -hmm. they can display all different types of personalities, you think, whoa, today she's bipolar, whoa, you know, she's this, she's that And, um, you know, it's hard, I think probably people need to accept the fact, you know, that um, mommy needs drugs as long as she's not abusing them, like you said Because if you're abusing them, yeah, that can really make you go haywire We used to restrain people who abused them, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And and maybe that's where the volatile um, uh, behavior, like the car keys you were saying throwing the car keys and all this other stuff, you know, um, because she wanted to go get that, uh, you know, came from because they have to have medicine many times. There's nothing wrong with taking medicine if you take it right because it can help you. But if you take it wrong yeah. then yes, it can make you act all kinds of crazy, you know, you know, weird, I mean ways that are not acceptable, let's put it that way. So I, I feel sorry for you for that because when you work with it, you know about it by just by watching it, by observing. Okay?
1: And, yeah. now, and your,
2: it wasn't your fault ever, and you're not stupid or any of that stuff. That she was trying to she was trying to demean you, okay, many times, and, and keep you under control by saying, um, "If you don't behave, you're going to go to hell." Or you're already going to hell. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> oh
1: wow. Let yeah. me see what Lori had to say about this. Go ahead. Um, your mother definitely did a, a really bad head trip on you. Uh, I can tell you for. <laughs> uh, just because I ended up in heaven, uh, I had choking problems. When you get to heaven, there there's no, um, you get sent back down. You want, when you're gone, you automatically go up or down. So don't even worry about that. And you're definitely going to heaven. Her, you'll never see it again. So you don't have to worry about meeting yeah. up with her. I think it's, um, I think it's a wonderful thing that you were able to identify everything that was going on with her and able to research and understand because that helped you further come along your, your journey. Um, she took up a lot of your time. She she stunted everything by telling you all these bad things about you when you actually didn't even know who you were. I mean, inside back then, you didn't have a chance to develop, so you lost a lot. But mm-hmm. I'm hearing now that the way you've been dealing with it and now I'm hearing, you know, about the um, author part and I, heard, I read you were an artist and whatnot. You still have a long future to do a whole lot of positive things. And I don't really think that you're going to be able to do it. You know, stick with what you're doing because you're a very smart person. You're very intelligent.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, you she know, is, it's, absolutely. It's yeah, just I really
1: yeah, push your mother's memory as far back as you can. And, you know, sooner or later, you know, you'll get to the point where you'll be able to live with it a little bit better. You know, she did do a lot of damage, and I'm sorry.
2: Mm-hmm. Well said, uh, and, and yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm.
3: A lot of the recovery process, I mean, it, like I said, it, it took years. A um, therapy for it to finally sink in and multiple therapists, bring up the topic of my mom for me to finally get down to the root of trauma and to what really happened. Um, mm-hmm. When she first passed away, so the, the abuse carried on my entire life as far as, you know, emotional neglect, for drug abuse persisted. I mean, every every vacation, every holiday, every, you know, our, our, my wedding, um, my <laughs> biggest fear was is she gonna be normal? Is she gonna be okay? Is she gonna O D? Is she gonna be out of it, you know? Is there gonna be some uh, big catastrophe where we have to take her to the emergency room which happened more than once? Um, yeah. So my wedding was actually I was the last of all people in our family to get married and she was alive for my wedding and that Christmas after my wedding is passed away. And From what I can understand, she passed away complications due to just her general health, is very poor, and also the multiple substances she was on. Um, She was known to polish off a bottle of NyQuil um, if she couldn't get her meds refilled because that was Um, Mm over-the-counter. And, you know, it was entirely possible that the multiple drugs in her system contributed to her, her passing away. And I think that after she died, the fact that, you know, she was borderline, and my my understanding of that is an Ill, or a ill-defined or ill sense of self, where there's kind of a very <laughs> shift that you're never really sure who you are and what your purpose is. And to a degree, because of all the things that I, I lived through, a lot of that passed on to me, where I, you know, I had defined for so long who I was and what my morals were by her and her rule, ruler and, like, her, you know... Her measurement stick of, you know, is this good or bad? Am I good or bad? Is this decision I'm making the right one? Um, so after she passed away, I really had a hard time with it, and it was conflicted feelings because on the one hand, it's your parents, and, you know, people usually have a negative reaction when your parent dies. And I was sad at the same time I was relieved, and I was also mm-hmm. angry. I was angry about the fact that I was never going to hear her say that she was sorry. I was never going to hear her say, I messed up and I hurt you and I, you know, did do these terrible things and it was my fault and I'm sorry. Um, And that did a number on me more than I I think a lot of, you know, the things that I went through while she was alive. Um, So after she passed, I started going through my own mental crisis of, you know, who am I? What am I doing with my life? I don't have my my priest to confess to anymore because that's more or less what she had become in my life as someone (laughs) that if I made a choice, I had to see from her if it was a good or bad choice. And once she was gone, I didn't have that anymore. And so I went through a phase of depression and anxiety that eventually evolved
0: into an eating disorder.
3: And a lot of people, I think, misunderstand eating disorders and think of, I mean, at least on TikTok and a lot of other places, people tend to think, oh, you know, thin person, thin girl who, you know, doesn't eat enough and exercise too much. And, yeah, that might be the behavior, but eating disorders come in all shapes and forms, and it's never about the food. It is never, never, never about the food. And for me, it was that I had gotten into ballet, and I'd loved ballet my whole life and decided to throw myself into ballet. Um, <laughs> and was like, I'm going to be a ballerina now. I'm going to dance. I'm going to look like a dancer. I'm going to do everything that the ballerinas do. <laughs> And that whole process got into this cycle of restriction and exercise that I just couldn't stop. And that set me into eating disorder inpatient treatment. Um, and I was in treatment for, well, in one form or another, for two or three months. Um, and I struggled on and off with disorder eating, I'd say, even up until this last year, just because whenever I would have a crisis come up in my life, where, you know, like when we moved to New York, um, I'm, I'm not working right now. I have a job. I'll be starting um, in a few months. But the feeling of, I don't have a job. What am I doing with my life? That always, those kinds of uncertainties seem to spark the eating disorder to come back to life. Um, and when that happened, I started to think, you know, well, why does this keep coming back? Why can't I just get a grip? Why can't, I, you know, what's wrong with me? Um, And a lot of people that I have spoken to or listened to or, you know, read about kind of have that innate feeling of badness or brokenness, of, you know, what's wrong with me that I can't get it together or that I'm sad all the time. And while I was browsing through Pinterest, which is an app that's kind of an inspiration board kind of stuff, I came across a post that was symptoms of childhood trauma. And when I was reading through it, it was just a boom, boom boom, every single thing just lined up of people were leaving me, you know, insecurities, eating disorders, and, you know, all these things came together, and I had to really sit down and think about the things that had happened and allow myself to accept the fact that, yes, you were abused, this was abuse, and it wasn't okay.
2: Well, you know what? Um, with the eating disorders, I used to, I'm a counselor, I used to work with a, a therapist, and she had her, Oh, she had more than that. She was going for a PhD. And then she had all kinds of issues herself mentally. She used to like dig her head, okay, until it would bleed, that type of thing. And it was awful watching her. And then, but she too had eating disorders. And she was quite sure, I see you have all your memories from, it certainly appears that way. And and I have all my memories. I think Lori has all her memories, you know, of how she was uh, brought up. And uh, whereas this girl was always sure that she, um, well, she'd been sexually abused, but she couldn't, uh, you know, she wasn't 100% sure, and it just dug at her and ate at her. And uh, mm-hmm. because people have, you know, all these issues, um, I'm running this worse. I'll turn it a little bit lower there. Um, but anyway she um, I think she was sexually abused. I really do, and um, so you know that 's only one there 's so many things that we can do. we can cut ourselves, um, yeah, so some of us try to commit suicide. I did when i was seventeen, and there 's so many people on NASA who have tried to commit suicide, who are suicidal or who suffered from suicidal ideations let 's put it that way too um, and, you know, this, it, it's all different ways it affects you physically, mentally, and emotionally. That's what we speak about. That's our mission statement, right? Physically, mentally, emotionally of abuse. Well, you also, your body suffers physically, mentally, and emotionally because of the abuse. So, you see, um, what you're speaking about with the eating disorder, did you have both the uh, anorexia and bulimia, or did you have uh, anorexia? How has had that worked with you? Um, for me, it was
3: mostly restriction in exercise. So um, when I was diagnosed, uh-huh. and diagnosed with anorexia nervosa restrictive subtype, um, I I had never been able to make myself purge. Um, that was, that was uh-huh. one thing that I'm actually very thankful for, that I never did understand how to do that or figure out how to do that. I think uh-huh. if I had, uh-huh. that, my health could have declined a lot more quickly. Um, I also have type 1 diabetes. So um, uh-huh. I was diagnosed when I was 15, and... In the eating disorder, if I hadn't understood how to purge it, I might have been much sicker um, and possibly, you know, much less likely to get help because the weight would have come off a lot faster. Um, uh-huh. So it was it was mostly restriction and running. I was running even the day, it, you know, I look back on it kind of darkly, laughing now. You don't laugh and cry. That um, the day that I was checked into the inpatient facility, I went for a five mile run because it was like my last hurrah, like. <laughs> Uh, they're not going to let me run once I go there, so, you know, I'm going to get it done while I can. Um, <laughs> and, but what I've come to find out is that, you know, the the actions and the things that I was doing, whether it's exercising or purging or, you know, people who struggle with binge eating, it's it's all to try to numb something else. It's all to try to distract or to give yourself a focus of some kind, to give yourself a sense of control um, or to lose control for some people to feel like you just need to let go. Um, and for me, this definitely was grasping at straw, trying to find some sort of definition and control in my
2: life. Well, you're talking to someone right here who was a runner. See, I, I had to do something with all of the um, emotions that I was feeling because I was feeling so much hatred, okay? I hated this one. I hated that one. I hated this one. I hated that one. I wanted to twist that one's head around like the exorcist. I mean, all these things, you know? <laughs> and um, it Rage comes running. to a point. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it comes to a point Where um, you have to find some way of relief And some people do, you know, through, through the eating or the cutting, like I said Well, with me, I when I was in school, I, I became an athlete, you know And uh, I even won awards But the the awards didn't even mean that much to me I know that may sound weird, but they, they didn't mean that much to me um, I knew why I was doing it and I felt better physically and mentally, a little bit mentally, mostly physically, um, not emotionally, when, when uh, I would run. And, and no one could touch my 50-yard dash. And I was so <laughs> good. Dad, I, was, I was really happy with that. That made me happy. <laughs> okay. So they made the mistake, though, of putting me on um, the boys' um, baseball team because the girls' softball team, they were scared of me. <laughs> when I'd get up his back, <laughs> it was so funny. You know, they were afraid that I was going to smash a ball into him or something, and they couldn't catch the. I, I had so much force behind it, they couldn't catch it. So uh, I only lasted two oh weeks gosh. on the boys' team. All right. <laughs> hey, look, it made it very difficult. You know, like gym time where you go in to change your clothing and all this stuff. Give me a break. I mean, come yeah. on. It was stupid. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was awkward. very stupid. And, and then, too, when a boy ball, you know, when he throws a, a ball, okay, uh, women are not, uh, girls are not as strong normally as, as boys, okay? I may have been able to hit that sucker, but let me, I couldn't throw it as hard <laughs> as the boys were. They were throwing it <laughs> at me, I swear to God. They were uncomfortable with me being on their team. Why wouldn't they be, okay? So it lasted two weeks, yeah. But we do that. We do that. We'll excel even at like um, with running, you know, with athletics and so forth. And it does help. It does help with uh, when you're feeling so, so anxious and something. People find something, whether it be music. I love to sing. I love to run. I can't run as much like I used to. We won't talk about that. I'm not 22 anymore, (laughs) but I could if I had to, okay? And, uh, you know, I mean, there's just things that we find. Otherwise, we go nuts. You know what I'm saying? We have to find outlets. Many times we turn to alcohol and drugs ourselves. I did. You know, Mm. I was a pill head. (laughs) And uh, I I, I drank. Yeah, and I drank with it, too. I'm lucky to be alive because they're both downers. Go
3: ahead. that's that's
0: where the generational
3: part comes in, too. You know, Um, and looking back on it, you know, my my mom did tell me that both of her parents drank. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I understand that alcohol abuse went back a ways in her family.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: unless someone steps out of the cycle, it keeps going.
2: Well, you know, they ran in my family too. Now, I'm not sure about my father's side of the family. I took the ancestry thing. My daughter bought that for me. Honey, I have a mm. chain in me. The- They don't have Italian in them. I have Swiss in me. They don't have Swiss in them. So I really don't know who the hell I am. But I do know one thing: I am me (laughs) at all times. (laughs) Okay. So and um, and I I don't want to find out who my family is anymore. It answered the question. Let's put it that way. And so, uh, but on my mother's side of the family, they were the closet drinkers. Okay. Um, And she was born in Iowa. They were farmers. Uh, the other side mm. of the family that I considered to be my family, we were all New Yorkers, all right. So the farmers, they, they what they would do, they would go out. The men especially, they go out to smoke, and they would go out to drink in the barn after dinner. And uh, mm. then then the women would go, "Well, well, get in here." That was one name <laughs> I remember that, <laughs> you know, hearing that it carried over. It carried over, so. It came into my mother's uh, side of the family. That well, there, there were alcoholics there, too. Okay. Now, I'm an alcoholic, but I haven't had a drink since 1981. I, I made a personal Good for you. choice. I made a personal choice. And, yes, I did say a prayer because I'm weak. I admit it. i like to drink. And I'd like to smoke cigarettes, too. Yes, I did. <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, I, I would say a prayer first, and then uh, I'm scared of God. See that? I'm a, And it wasn't from my mother's side, because they're all atheists. But if something told me that there's something up there bigger than me, oh, I, I just know it. Or well, we wouldn't be here. That's the way I see it. So uh, no one has to agree with me. I don't care. So the, the point is that, uh, yeah, I stop both. And you can. You can. That's the thing. You can. And it's it's very funny that you
0: should
3: say that, that something is bigger out there, and a big part of the reason why I had been interested in coming on the show tonight is, um, you know, I did finally accept that, yes, I was abused as a child, you know, whether it was because of her neglect or um, substance abuse or personality disorders or, you know, hitting us, things like that, I, mm-hmm. I was abused and I need help for that, and I, at this point, had been getting therapy in some form or another for, like, six years. And I was like, okay, this has been going on for a long time. I need to, like, get at the root of this problem and finally deal with it. And started researching, you know, what are things that I can do for post-traumatic stress? see It's called Complex Post-Traumatic Stress Disorder. And it's probably the first time you've heard it on this show. Um, and what, what do you do for something like that to deal with childhood trauma? And I came okay. across... Um, okay a place that does ketamine infusion. And they do this for people who have treatment-resistant depression and other mm-hmm. mental diagnoses it's under the supervision of a psychiatrist, um, nurse practitioners, nurses, therapists, they're all there to an approach. And I decided to start doing that this past July. I had my last infusion a couple months ago. The very first infusion, I mean, I don't know how familiar anybody is with um, this form of therapy. It is a hallucinogen. It's used all the time in surgery um, because it's an anesthetic, um, but the idea mm-hmm. is that while you're under, your brain is able to make new connections. It's called neuroplasticity, the ability of the brain to reprogram itself so that I'm yeah, not defaulting all all the that. Time to, mm-hmm. yeah, the idea that I'm, I'm a bad person, I don't have to default to the idea that I'm bad, maybe I'm not bad. And I can tell you, with my first infusion, my entire life I believed in God. I've never not believed in God, but I don't think it hit me quite as hard until that first infusion, where it was just this. It was like you suddenly understood that there is something infinitely more powerful and bigger. I mean, the only thing I can compare it it to is when I saw the pictures from the James Webb Telescope. Was just there is something much bigger. It may or may not be the same God or religion that my family raised me on. You know, fundamentalist Christianity definitely rubbed me the wrong way when it comes to religion. Um,
0: uh-huh.
3: But my my belief in God, I think, is even stronger today than it ever has been, even if my beliefs in things like hell are not the same. Um, and I'm very thankful because I know that one of
0: the things I mentioned in the
3: um, the questions for the radio talk tonight was to talk about therapy and how you are doing today. And as a part of that therapy, the person that I worked with called the integration, integration specialist who talked to you before and after the infusion is done, mentioned writing a book. And she had mentioned a children's book because, you know, I love working with kids and I've identified with kids, you know, my whole life wanted to help kids. Um, mm-hmm. But it evolved into my memoir and just telling my story. And it was a really healing process for me. And before I got on the talk tonight, I was doing a a live stream, watching a live stream on YouTube uh, with another therapist that I really enjoy learning from. And someone had mentioned that they were starting to do a blog. And I found writing to be extremely therapeutic, even if it's just in a journal, um, to just process the things that happen. So my memoir, I completed the manuscript, Uh, Last month in November and I'm now working on the publishing process. So we'll see where that goes.
2: I See that here. It says um, I'm back at the computer now. I can't help the pipes if they're gonna freeze I don't know what I'm gonna do I'm running the water (laughs) everywhere Um, It says here. I decided to write my memoir. It says I'm not bad. I like that title because you know so often we 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 all feel, you know, at one time or another that we're bad people. And, and I did you know, well, like when I was a teenager and I was running away from home and all this other stuff, because um, my brother couldn't keep his hands off him. It was an inside job, but also an outside job. I had both, okay? So oh. I decided, screw this. You know, I'm, I'm getting out of here. So, uh, you know what? The street people treated me better than my own family, and they wouldn't let me shoot mm-hmm. up heroin. I know that sounds very weird, but they um, they're older than me, and uh, I was like their kid sister, and that's just the way it was. And I didn't stay out there in the wintertime. I wasn't stupid. We have nights like this, <laughs> you know, walking around the house.
1: Is my house going
2: to freeze? I'm not dumb.
1: <laughs> so, you
2: know, <laughs> but uh, I would go back home. Many times I'd go into the basement, stay down in the basement because I didn't want to see them. They didn't want to see me. i feel what the hell, you know? And I'd sneak upstairs and i to sleeping and, and get food. I mean, the lives that we lead, okay, or have to lead or feel like we have to lead. And I was switched, too, and all that other stuff. We go through hell, okay? And you know what? It was never, ever, ever our fault, ever. So the very fact that someone like yourself or like all of us here, okay, we all have our stories. Some of them are similar. Some of them aren't. You know, it doesn't matter, because trauma is trauma. But the point is, um, the very fact that, uh, you know, that we're able to survive, because that's what we are, we're survivors, and then also you're an author, I'm an author. And, you know, uh, Lori, did you write a book? I don't think so.
1: Did you No, um, know? I did, no, I did write a book. My rheumatologist made me promise to write it, but I didn't publish it, only because... I mean, my main reason. My son doesn't know what happened to me, and I didn't want oh, him to okay. find out. But I have a page mm-hmm. on Facebook with the story. I bring it out in April.
2: Yeah, oh cool! All right, I'll congratulations.
1: That. Yeah. yeah, I actually wrote a children's book too. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: But when it comes to the paperwork part, that that really stops me. I'm only like the the writer or the artist. Anything other than that, someone else has to take care of for me. I can't <laughs> do it. <laughs> it is a lot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I try and well,
2: I just can't. I, I I get it. I get it, you know. Now, see, everyone's different when they're writing a book, okay? Now, with Lori, she didn't want her son, you know, to find out about her and all this other stuff. And what I did with my book, um, Panic Child, I, I sat both of my kids down and I said, Mommy's writing a book. And they'd already seen enough stuff as it was from their own father, who should never have been a father. He was just very negligent. He misspelled my daughter's name wrong, our daughter's name wrong. I mean, he was just not there, okay? And um, and then with my second husband, because I divorced him, and with my second husband, I chose, you know, he was better than my first husband. Let's put it that way. But, boy, it was there room for improvement, <laughs> okay? <laughs> but, you know, so the kids probably grew up with a sort of like a warped idea of what marriage should be like, except for the grandparents, which are the ones also, too, that abused me. Mm. They treated my kids great, and they t- treated huh. me awful, okay? and uh, But I know why, and it, there's no excuse for that. I'm not my mother's uh, daughter, and she got raped, and out I popped, okay? I popped nine months later. And um, she pushed me off as my father, so-called father's child. And uh, no one ever questioned that as far as I know. Mm-hmm. So Weird, until I was around 14 And they said, hey, you don't look like us I said, hey, I don't want to And I walked away <laughs> I'm a wise ass Lori <laughs> knows I'm a wise ass All right, <laughs> yeah. Me- a lot of us are well, Darkly
3: funny
2: <laughs> Well, you know what? Humor is wonderful, okay Because it makes you feel better But you see, I can take a word and totally twist it And, and make something funny I've, I've had like a, a little bit of a talent If you will, that way, okay But uh, I knew they were right, and and, uh, because it was always so different, okay? So, all right, and they had, everyone had blue eyes. I have green eyes. Where would they come from? (laughs) Okay, no one has green eyes in my family, on either side. I still consider them sort of like my family, because I don't know my real family, all right? So, but no one had green eyes on my mother's side. They were all brown. So, uh, I don't know. What can I say? But you know, the the point of it is and I don't care anymore because um too many years have gone by, far too many years, okay. And um I've lived my life, it hasn't been a very good one, but I'm still here, I'm still kicking and I'm a fighter. See people on NASA were so dedicated, you know, to the cause that um, we turn many times into, yes, I'm I'm a very loving person, but I'm also a very rough person. And like I tell people, I'm leather and I'm lace, I'm both. (laughs) That's the way I am. But I don't care about what happened to me anymore. I mean, let's put it to you this way, to both of you this way. I care about what happened to me because it was wrong. And and the effects that it has on children. I mean, you've, you've spoken about a whole bunch of them, I mean, tonight, you know what I'm saying? And we all can do that. And that's wrong. But I've gotten to the point in my life where it doesn't affect me as it did when I was a child, no matter how volatile it was. And, honey, I've seen blood. I've seen all kinds of stuff. But um, I look at it as they're the ones who are nuts, not me. <laughs> okay. That's the way it is. And then we live our lives the best that we can. Um, I got therapy through the church, one good Catholic church. Wow, okay. I, I turned Catholic because that's the way I thought that was. And on my so-called father's side before I knew, everybody on that side was Catholic, so I followed that. And um, so anyway, I wasn't sorry for that because priests got a hold of me that were very good. There can be a good Catholic church. There can be. And uh, there can be good priests. And the one priest I had an awful crush on. Holy Christopher. He had <laughs> hair down his shoulders. Yeah. He had blonde hair. And he had blue eyes. And he was a honk. Okay. And he was the best priest. He could have made a movie and and, and been a priest in a movie that worked with kids and people in general. Because let me tell you something. He was very good at what he did. And he was, he was just a cool guy. So he had, you know, we had over 200 people in our prayer group. That's a lot. And uh, they come from all walks of life. Yeah. So because they came from all walks of life, there was a couple therapists in there, and they're the ones that did my brain over. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, um, yeah. So this is why we're so valuable to people. You come on the show, and you tell your story, and that's a wonderful thing. Okay. Okay. And um, afterwards, most people, I'm going to say 95%, are happy that they told this story. Wouldn't you say that, Lori? I I don't know of anybody really that wasn't happy, except maybe one. Yeah, it was a
1: monumental event in my life, definitely.
2: And I told it three
1: times already, and it affected me the same way each time.
2: Well, that's what happens after a while. You know, you, you tell it. I, I've told it many more times than because I've done presentations. Oh, tell us your story. You go, oh, no, not again. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> but all the townspeople showed up. That was cool. And um, so I was telling my story to many pe- I've told my story many times, but I don't have the same feeling, of course, none of us are going to, uh, today as when it was happening. What do we face? We face fear, right? Scared to death I was scared to death Of the people that abused me And um, You know We worry with that I had panic attacks So bad That it became panic disorder I mean it was awful Uh, We suffer from low self-esteem Right Of course we do Mm -hmm. We're told we're stupid Or whatever the case might be Uh, We go and and have eating disorders like, Like what you were saying Okay now, to this day, I love my sweet sumo. I thought, "Oh, yes, I do, and I just lost um and last thirty pounds about twenty five to twenty eight pounds. Not that I was really heavy, but I was a little bit chunky and and I want to feel good when I wear my shorts at seventy five Thank you very much this coming summer. <laughs> i don't I, I I want to you know feel good about me that way, okay, that I look okay. And um, which is very stupid. I mean, maybe, I don't know, and I don't care. But the point is we're always doing self-improvement. So by writing your book, okay, um, and also, too, with me, it took me only 28 days to write 314 pages. That was it.
3: I I was very surprised how easily the story came to me and was on the page. I think it took me a total of two or three months to get the whole thing, and um, I think it's 230
2: pages right now. Well, you see, it doesn't matter the length of the book, and it doesn't matter how long it takes for us to write the book. With me, I didn't know how to write a book. Are you kidding me? So (laughs) I just feel I'll go back to English class in my head. And uh, I, I did like the, uh, remember when they used to write uh, a sentence on the on the board and then you had to dissect it or whatever it was called? And you have every and Yeah, really yeah,
1: yeah. I yeah, think yeah. the teachers in America have a problem with that. I I were like teaching you verbs that. and nouns and, and pronouns and how to arrange. Yeah, that's what they were doing.
2: Yes, that's what they were doing. And you know what? Uh, but that actually helped me to write the book because I knew I had the title. I had to have a title, right? And I knew that I had to have chapters. And I knew that I had to have like A, B, and C. Well, that would be the chapters. You know, you see what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I wrote my book and it got published and uh, it made it to Japan. <laughs> wow!
3: Congratulations.
2: I went on Amazon and I self published. And I don't listen, to people out there, if you're writing a book. Uh, really, if you can afford to to get uh, do it the right way, the way as I put it, um, please do it that way. Because when you uh, write your own book, even though I have my um, book, it's in the uh, Library of Congress, uh, and people aren't allowed to steal it, you know, because it's there. Let me tell you something. Mine got yes. stolen, stolen somehow, and the money stopped coming in. You know, um, the royalties. So I did a little check on it, and uh, that's how I found out that I was in Japan. Okay, my book was there. Wow. And uh, so someone, um, yeah, they, they, they were able to break through that barrier. Now, if you have an editor and you have this and you have that, those things aren't going to happen. And you know what? I don't care at this point because what we have to say is important. Would it be me, would it be Laurie? would it be you, Maury, whomever? Our words matter. And so even though I can say, wow, it feels good that it made it to, to Japan, and I was kind of happy about that and proud about it. And um, as long as we're able to reach people one way or another, whether it be through our music or whether it be through our books or whether it be uh, through our art. I know a lot of people, when I was doing presentations before the COVID, All right. um <laughs> I was taking, I had bought some paintings off of someone that I knew was an artist in our, In Nazca, And people were actually taking pictures of the pictures that I brought in. It was really cool to watch that. I liked that, okay? And, um, you know, so whatever, which way we express ourselves and, and, and show child abuse, um, poetry, like I said, art, artwork, um, Doing presentations and, and writing books And what we do We're getting the word out there So I've got to tell you this I have to When I wrote my book There was only one other book Lori already knows this On on Amazon Like our our, our type of style That was it, one book other than mine Now today You go to put it in You type it into Amazon You type uh, child abuse, whatever Memoirs and which mine was also, um, and there's a ton of them. So that shows that the word has gotten out there. People are talking about, are they, are they proactive? No, not nearly as much as what we'd like. They're still turning their backs. They see something, they don't say something, you know what I'm saying? So somehow we have to get people to understand, and I always use the word hero uh, you could be someone's hero And uh, things like that Which is so true Because you could save a life You could If you report it And by the mm-hmm. way I always say on the shows If you know That Jimmy Jones down the street Is being abused Because there will be little boys too Alright mm-hmm. the, uh, the stats are very close But Jimmy Jones is being abused And uh, you call the 1-800-4 A child number You can report it right there. Because so many times, I'm going to say it again, 1-800, the number four, a child, okay? So many times people are afraid of retaliation, especially in the more urban areas, you know, Uh, and uh, because everybody knows everybody, or or at least they know of them or whatever, and they they live close together so I can hear things better. Um, They're afraid they're going to get whacked. Boy, in my city, huh? Oh, <laughs> wait a minute. They're afraid that they're, <laughs> they're going to get bottled. Yeah, I know. They're afraid they're going to get hit in the head or something. Let's put it that way, whatever. Um, so, um, you know, that many times that's one reason why they don't report. But when you call that 1-800-4-A-CHILD number, it's all confidential, okay, completely confidential, and we've had them on our show. That's through child help. That's the name of the organization, Child Help, And they have this uh, hotline service you can call into. So people don't have to, and it's it's all nationwide, people don't have to be afraid anymore, okay, to make that phone call. I'm just letting guys out there know that who are listening, Um, you know, say something. I wish someone had said something in my case. I'm sure that you guys wish that someone had said so- something or tried to help, whatever. And uh, sure. today's foster care, yeah, today's foster care is is better than it used to be. I will say that. Because people have gotten on their case. Mm-hmm. Are they perfect? No. Is the system perfect? No. Is the child court per- perfect? No. I could think of a thousand things that need to be done in all three of them, okay? But... You know, the point is, it's a start, and if you make that phone call number, you could be saving a life. Okay, I got that mm-hmm. off my chest. <laughs> now, <laughs> let's, um, I had to say that, because, damn it, anyway, we see things, we know things, and if people don't start, you know, becoming more community-minded and, and do something about it, then, uh, you know, the kids are going to continue, some are going to end up dead, aren't they? We lose children every single day. They die because he had beaten too badly or whatever. Okay, mm. so getting back to your memoir, I'm Not Bad, the lessons that I learned mm-hmm. along the way are applicable to many who are trying to work on self-compassion. Explain that a little bit on, with the self-compassion bit. Go ahead.
3: So a lot of it was, you know, with my healing from trauma was kind of dealing with this thought that I am bad and there's something fundamentally wrong with me. And mm-hmm. learning to talk to and re-parent, you know, I've heard inner child a lot growing up with my mom going mm-hmm. to therapy and going to uh, treatment and rehab, and she would bring it up in a way that she would, oh, this is, whenever she didn't buy into something, it was new age.
0: This is so new
3: age, and, you know, this isn't according to what I believe, and so it's a bunch of, you know, nonsense. Um, but when I started to actually understand it from talking to my therapist and to psychiatrists about the idea of the inner child. It is the kid in you that is clearly still in you because it's still hurting that just hasn't moved past the things that happened. So for someone who's Mm -hmm. had a healthy childhood, that inner child is really just them. It's just you. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, though, that kid is very stunted. Um, And she's very afraid all the time. And Mm I don't, you know, she doesn't trust anyone. She doesn't think that anything good will ever happen. And how this has showed up in my life as an adult is every job I've ever had, I'm terrified of my boss. I'm convinced they're going to fire me, that they're looking for ways to fire me, Um, that they think that I'm
0: stupid and it's
3: a matter of time until they figure out how incompetent I am. Um, My husband, who's been with me for 13 years, I'm convinced he's going to divorce me. And he's looking for reasons to divorce me. And he's like, you know, oh, babe, if I wanted to leave, I would have left by now. <laughs> he's like,
0: you know, <laughs>
3: if I wanted to leave, I could have. But there's still this kind of, when I say self-compassion, is being able to talk to myself in a kinder way. Because when I, when I mentioned earlier the ketamine infusions and that kind of my default track that my mind is always on is you're stupid, you're disgusting, you're fat, you're gross. Uh, you're bad, you're unworthy. And instead of talking to myself that way in my book, and you know, it's a lot of dialogue between me and my inner thoughts. Reprogramming those thoughts has been basically reparenting my inner child and developing that compassion for myself, so that I'm not saying those mean things to myself anymore. I'm saying like, hey, I've noticed you're feeling a certain way. What's going on there? Like, What are you feeling right now? Where do you feel it in your body? And you know, what does it make you feel emotionally when you're feeling this way and saying, you know, hey, little Maureen, how you doing? What do you need? And it's not always, you know, the self-care and stuff that's on uh, social media and things these days of like, oh, I taking myself to get a pedicure and going for, you know, a vacation stay- stay- someplace. Like, it's not always dramatic. For me, sometimes the self-care was I'm going to get up and make a bowl of oatmeal this morning and I'm going to make sure that I eat it. Because if I had my little, you know, six-year-old self next to me, it would be, hey, Maureen, you need to eat a good breakfast. It's important that you eat. What do you want to eat this morning? Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking, you know, you're disgusting. You don't deserve anything. You shouldn't eat today because you don't deserve it. Mm -hmm. And so self-compassion to me instead of saying you don't deserve to eat is everyone needs to eat. Food can taste great. What is it that you need to nourish your body today? And so a lot of, you know, self-compassion, reparenting is, you know, something that's brought up a lot when it comes to childhood trauma work is really just learning to talk to yourself like you'd want someone to talk to you. Being the mm-hmm. parent for yourself that you wish you'd had back then. And it could be as simple as, hey, let's eat a bowl of oatmeal or like tonight, later tonight, it's going to be, let's walk us a wonderful life and have a cup of hot chocolate. Um, mm-hmm. and just, you know, doing nice things for yourself whether it's actually doing something nice, like making breakfast, or just making sure that you're not a jerk to yourself, <laughs>
1: learning to mm-hmm, not
2: mm-hmm. Uh, default to that negative. self-help. Well, that's it right there. See, a lot of people do that, and they don't—they don't, they don't even—I don't know if they're aware that they're doing that. You know, their self-talk. Okay, um, when they bad self-talk is not good. All right, because. That's the person who's going to feel guilt yet from the past, you know, well, maybe I could have done this, or maybe it was my fault, okay? And they're doing all this kind of mm-hmm. self-talk. So there's two kinds of self-talk. You can self-talk in a positive way, or, which is very good, and that's what you, you know, you're doing. You're talking to your inner child in a positive way. Or you can self-talk uh, in a negative way because you haven't still gotten past that hurdle, Okay, like when I was running it, I used to jump the hurdles, all right? And you haven't jumped yeah. that hurdle yet. And uh, to get over the fact that it's okay to use self-talk. In fact, it is therapeutic because there is that inner child in us. A lot of people don't know what we're talking about when we say inner child, okay? To them it doesn't make mm. sense. But it's like um, almost like a voice in our head, you know, where um, we know that when we were small, when we were just a kid, Um, We weren't being treated properly, you know And that child is crying still That child is still inside feeling bad And um, so then to soothe this inner child By saying, hey kid, you know, it wasn't your fault It was never your fault, okay And, And that child absorbs that And you do that enough, that child becomes You know, that inner child becomes stronger, healthier and and then you too, who are the same person. I don't want to sound like I have a dissociation disorder because I don't. <laughs> I don't have you know multiple personalities, but I'm trying to explain the inner child here. Um, the inner child is the one that's still in ourself. That's in our head. That's in our heart. That's our spirit. And you see, mm-hmm. you, you've heard many times before. If you kick a dog enough, what do you break? You break their spirit, right?
0: Yeah.
2: You do. And if a child is abused enough, whether it be physically, mentally, emotionally, what, neglected, all of them, or a or, or few of them, it doesn't matter. Trauma is trauma. You're going to break that child. That child then will, yes, suffer from the low self-esteem. They will, yes, then they may even try to commit suicide. They may then become a loner and, and, and not want to be able to be with people because they can't face them, can they? Because they, so, they feel so bad about self. I was like that a lot. Um, and, and they'll turn to risky behavior. You know, then, then then with the alcohol and the drugs and other things that they do. We have a whole list on our NASCA website, by the way. I don't know if you, if you opened it up and looked at anything. But yeah. on the NASCA website, that's N-A-A-S-C-A dot org, NASCA dot org, um, We have a whole bunch of uh, information for people. Scroll down a little bit to the red blocks, as I call them, and each one is a different topic. Go into prevention, intervention, and recovery. That's one block, because you open that one where it says um, prevention, and a whole thing, a list of things fall down. And it's very, very interesting, and you learn a lot from it. And I used an awful lot of the information on our website under many of the blocks. At, at presentations, it's both cops, everybody, because you see people don't understand too often, I don't care how much schooling they have, I have schooling, you have schooling, okay, but if you're not taught about child abuse, you're not going to understand how it really truly feels, because you didn't walk that walk, all right? Mm. So that's what we do in the show, and, and that's, that's you had a, you did a fine job. I just want you to know. And I always love it when my fellow New Yorkers come on. Yes, I do. We've got Laurie, and we have Maureen, and I hope more come on. Um, I get almost as excited as when guys come on because, you see, um, men are starting to open up now, which is a good thing because too often they were really, really – it was really, really a no-no for a guy to talk about that. You're supposed to man up, right? And, and all this other stuff. Cry, yeah, boys, don't
3: cry, Don't <clears throat> cry.
2: <clears throat> that's right. But you know, there's a lot of those guys walking around. There's the ones, more a lot. There's the ones that are sitting down the bottom of the, of the. You know, they're in the, they're in the taverns, man. They're and they're sitting there drinking, drunk, and then they go home and they beat the wife up, and then maybe even the children. Okay, it's only a matter mm-hmm. of time. See, they do that. We know this, and uh, a lot of us have lived her it. So you see, other
1: people
2: yeah, they're hurting so badly themselves because they have nowhere to express themselves. They're not allowed to cry, are they? I can't cry to this day hardly. Just once when my mother died, my stepfather died. Um, Is there another (laughs) time? Wait a minute. I don't have to think about this one. (laughs) Hey, hey, Lori, I, I used to get thrown outside if I cried when I was around seven, eight years old. They put me outside. It didn't matter if it was two degrees out. That was yeah, it. I used to
0: get, I, I, I used to get beat yeah. up. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's right. So that's right. Cry. Couldn't even cry at my grandfather's funeral. Couldn't even cry. Yeah, there you go. There you go.
2: And it, it's a good thing. It's like running the hurdles and something like that. You know, if you uh, if you cry, you need that release. It's good to get rid of that. We have to learn to stay away from you toxic people. Yeah. You know. Few things in life, and,
3: and then is a really good cry. <laughs>
2: You know, there's there's all kinds of things that we have to learn, what we have to do, okay? And sometimes those toxic people, of course, are family people, aren't they? Okay. But um, anyway, you know, our show is almost over. Tomorrow's Christmas Eve. I'm cooking for 16 people. Thank you very much. And um, <laughs> I think I'll have fun, though. I have a bad left arm, but I can do it with the right arm. Yes, I can. I can do it. I can do it. So... Um, I went out and did a whole bunch of shopping, lugged all those groceries in by myself with my right arm, and now my right arm hurts. Okay. <laughs> but I'll be all right by tomorrow with my right arm. And uh, so I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, you know, or uh, Hanukkah, whatever you have, whatever your faith is, whatever you, you know, whatever you are. Um, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring or, or the next month is going to bring. I'm hoping for change. I won't go any further than that. Okay, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping for change Yes, I am, damn it And uh, so anyway We need to uh, go back to how we were before So so we can live better lives um, You know, as far mm-hmm. as people who run the country Okay, I'll go that far But anyway, you did a fine job So what would you say What would you say to all the listeners A lot, lot of times people You hear me say listeners Oh my God, I'm still in Staten Island <laughs> um, What would you? Um, what would you say to the people who are listening right now, you know, through their computers, because a lot of people do that. What type of advice would you give them, Maureen? One step at a time. Um, It it becomes
3: really overwhelming when you think about what your life is going to look like a year from now, five years from now, ten years from now. You know, sometimes it helps to just stop and say, you know what, for the next minute I'm just going to sit here and do deep breaths to learn to stop, especially for me if I'm feeling triggered or super anxious. A lot of times when the, you know, memories and things start to come back and I feel agitated, the first place I feel Mm -hmm. it is in my chest and in my throat, where it's the feeling of holding your breath, like you've been underwater for way too long. And one thing that really, really helps if you're feeling overwhelmed is just stop and breathe, to just give yourself a minute, To breathe in and focus on your breath going in, focus on your breath going out, and remind yourself this is something my therapist is working with me on a whole lot is to just say the words over and over, I am good. I am good. I am good. And even if you don't believe it, sometimes it's a fake it till you make it kind of thing. Where positive self-talk, it feels very fake for me at times because the bad talk is so familiar. The negative things that I say to myself sound so familiar of, you know, you're bad, you mess up. So when I say things to myself like, hey, you did a nice thing today, or good job on this, or you're a good person, or you're trying, take time, take one step at a time, and learn to say something nice to yourself at least once a day.
2: That's good. That's very good. And it's also very true. Right, Lori?
0: Yeah.
2: Absolutely. uh, Yeah. It's it's a matter of us, you know, we're in control now. Those mm-hmm. people that, we're that beat us up, yeah, those people that beat us up, they're gone. And if they're not gone, they should be gone, huh, Lori? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I hear you. But um, we are in control of our lives now. And uh, we know that what they did was bad, and uh, we were just kids. I always stress that because that's what we were. And I just got the 90-second cue in my ear. But go ahead. Yeah, that's
3: really what I'm hoping that my book is going to do, is to, to encourage other survivors to
2: mm-hmm. tell your own
3: story and take control of your own story because we survived it, you know,
2: and speaking up is how we break the cycle. That's right. Absolutely. Well, listen here. You came on here and you told your story, and that was a, a good thing to do and a brave thing to do, too. So... You. Anytime you want to call in, you know what time we're here. You we're all here <laughs> at, the, at the same time, um, Eastern Standard Time. So, you know, call in at 8 o'clock, and uh, you can be on the board. And um, all you do is hit the number 1. Call the number, hit the number 1, and you're you're automatically on, okay? And uh, so if you'd like to do that, we uh, run Monday through Friday. Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays we have guests on. You were a guest tonight, right? So Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And I always run Fridays. Uh, sometimes Thursdays too, or wherever I'm needed. I'm vice president. I have to do something. <laughs> I have to do this. So anyway, um, <laughs> so you did a fine job, didn't you, Lori? Thank you. Yes, yes, you did.
1: Oh, very good yeah. nice meeting you, and I wish you, you too.
2: Yeah, it was great. You too. And happy good, holidays so. to both
1: of you. Yes. Thank you to your family as well.
2: Yes. Thank you Thank for that. You. So good night now. And uh I hope we talk again soon. Remember, you're a family member now. You can call in when you want, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much, and take care of yourself. Okay, you too, honey. Bye bye now.
0: Bye bye. Log Talk Radio. Okay.